The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Out of respect for Christ, we rise to hear the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel appointed for this Sunday is from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the fifth chapter, beginning at verse 21. This is a continuation of the Sermon on the Mount that we've been listening to over the last couple weeks. In this text, although he doesn't address love specifically, he talks about some of the abuses, actually, of love, where people are not loving and sacrificial and kind in the way that God is. And so we listen to our Lord's speak these words to us. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him keep her a certificate or let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. 
And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Ladies, what does it take in order for you to feel lavished with love by your sweetheart? Might one of the following gifts make you feel like you've been lavished with love? Here are some gift ideas that I found on the top ten list of the most outrageous, expensive Valentine gifts. For those of you who want to say your love is forever, you you might want to buy your sweetheart a diamond-encrusted millennium bra by Victoria's Secret. The cost is a mere ten million dollars. Ladies, would that make you feel lavished with love? Or maybe for the woman who loves her shoes. How about custom Stuart Weitzman designer shoes valued at about $1.6 million? Or maybe you're into crystal. A Jill Dybel crystal and diamond bridal bouquet goes for about $350,000. Maybe you need a new cell phone because your cell phone is wearing out. Well, your Valentine might get you a designer cell phone from the David Morris International of London for a mere $104,000. Now, if you happen to be maybe a little bit more of an economic-minded person, how about a one-night stay at the Imperial Suite at the President Wilson Hotel in Geneva, Switzerland? It's $33,000 a night. But, of course, you'd have to pay for the airplane tickets to get to Geneva. Ladies, would any of these gifts make you feel as though you're lavished with love? Or would you simply be content with a day at the spa? Or maybe a night out, a date without the kids? Or maybe a bouquet of flowers or a box of chocolates? Or maybe just that your sweetheart would do the dishes or vacuum around the house without being asked or prompted? Or maybe finish that home project that been on the the to-do list for a while. Lavished with love. That's the theme of today's message. And today we're going to talk about how God lavishes us with His love. A gift that is far more precious than any of those gifts that I just listed only a few moments ago. Listen to the words of our text. Behold, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Do you comprehend how great the gift of God's love is? The God of this universe claims us as His daughters and as His sons. Our adoption into the family of God is a done and completed deal. 
We are, present tense, children of God. We are the recipients of his constant, persistent, inexhaustible love. In other words, God's love for you and me is unconditional. It's unmerited. It's unlimited. It's unimaginable. And it's unfailing. Unwanted. Unwanted. According to a Yahoo News report, that was the Hindi name given to 285 Indian girls participating in a renaming ceremony. You see, when they were born, their parents gave them the name Nakusi or Nakusa. It sounds pretty, doesn't it? But don't ever name your girl Nakusi or Nakusa because it means unwanted. And the reason why these girls were given this name was because they were unwanted by the very ones who brought them into this world. Can you imagine running around in the playground, hearing the other children call out your name, Nakusi, Nakusa, always knowing and hearing, unwanted, unwanted. It's no wonder that they were going through a renaming ceremony. The Bible tells us that we were once born as orphans, that is, spiritual orphans because of the sin condition we inherited from our parents. Our condition made us feel like a nukusi, a nukusa. We felt unwanted. We, we felt undesirable. God knows the condition of our hearts. He knows how corrupt we are. God knows our rebellious nature. He knows our failures. He knows our problems. He knows our deepest and darkest secrets. But thankfully, God doesn't give us the name Nakusi. He doesn't call us unwanted. He doesn't say we're undesirable. Instead, he lavishes us with his unconditional, his unmerited, his unlimited, his unimaginable, his unfailing love. John describes the depth and the breadth of our Father's love for us when he writes... This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The comic strip BC once depicted God as being that proud father proclaiming about his crucified son, That's my boy. It's incomprehensible to us, but it pleased God our Father to have his own son suffer and die on the cross of Calvary. And just as mind-boggling is that it pleased Jesus, God's Son, to endure the pain and the suffering of his Father's wrath on the cross for our sin so that we might be lavished with his love today, tomorrow, and forever. Now, I must confess that if I was given the choice between sacrificing one of my sons or daughters in order to rescue some other person from certain death, I think I might let the other person die to save my own. But thankfully, God is not like me. He let his son die for us. And he lavishes his love upon us. He lavishes us with his unconditional, his unmerited, his unlimited, his unimaginable, his unfailing love.
even though it meant that his love for us, the result was that Jesus, his son, was an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When we were baptized, God identified himself as our father, and he adopted us as daughters and sons in his family. John writes in his gospel, to all those who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent or of human decision or of husband's will, but born of God. God knows us by our name, not by our social security number. God knows us by our birthmarks and our moles and our scars, not by the blemishes of our sin. By virtue of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, our Father looks on us and He says, that's my daughter, that's my son. And we're lavished with His love. How does God's lavish love make a difference in your life? Well, let me share with you the stories of two people who have been impacted by the lavish love of God, their Heavenly Father. One is a Christian man. This Christian man was a man who was struggling with sexual sin. And he describes how God's lavish love has affected his life. He writes, Guilt and fear are such powerful forces that they may also deceive. In my case, they deceived me into seeing God as my enemy. And for many years, I wallowed in the stench and the filth of sin until I finally reached the end of my rope. And in desperation, I turned to God. I now believe that God was with me at each stage of my struggle with lust. It wasn't that I had to climb toward a state of repentance to earn God's approval. That would be a religion of works. Rather, God was present with me even as I fled from him. At the moment when I was most aware of my own inadequacy and failure, at that moment, I was probably closest to God. That is a religion of grace. And that, my friends, is a brother in Christ who lives in God's lavish love. Or hear how God's lavish love helped bring healing to a Christian woman dealing with a painful ending to a relationship. She writes, the breakup left me with a double-sided headache. Not only did I have to face the end of a romance, but I also had to realize that God had not been working in my life the way I'd perceived. I trudged through days that suddenly seemed meaningless and the Lord seemed so far away. I spent the better part of a year climbing out of that dark place, but eventually I was reminded that God had already abundantly proven his love for me. At my counselor's suggestion, I studied the love and compassion of God, looking up every Bible passage I could find on the subject. My study brought me back to the elementary principle of Christianity, that God showed us his love by sending his son. It was something I had known for so long, I really had not given it much thought recently, but now I began to ponder that magnificent truth again, and I was amazed by the love that would cause the Creator to watch his son die for our redemption. His love wasn't just there, something flat and emotionless. It was alive and passionate and more real than anything I could see. I couldn't think about the agony of Calvary and still wonder if God really cared about me. There was nothing else God needed to do to prove his love for me. 
You see, that, my friends, is a sister in Christ who lives in and is healed by her father's lavished love. Are you living in your heavenly father's lavish love? What hurts need to be healed? What addictions need to be conquered? What sins need to be forgiven? What fears need to be dispelled? What doubts need to be vanquished by his lavish love? Drink in John's words. Let them fill your heart and mind. Behold how great is the love the Father has lavished on you, that you should be called a child of God. That is what you are. That is what you are. Some fifth and sixth graders took a science test. Here's one response that a student gave to the question on the test. The student wrote, genetics. Genetics explain why you look like your father, and if you don't, why you should. As you analyze your own life, is there any family resemblance between you and your heavenly father? There should be. John writes, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us love not with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. In other words, John is asking, how are you reflecting your father's DNA, his lavish love, in your life? Jeffrey Collins tells of an incident in his life. It had been a trying week at his love and action office. And it was five o'clock on a Friday afternoon and he was looking forward to a quiet evening with friends over a supper. And then the phone rang. I'll let, I'll let Jeff tell the rest of his story. Jeff, it's Jimmy, I heard the quivering voice say. Jimmy, who suffered from several AIDS-related illnesses, was one of our regular clients. I'm really sick, Jeff. I've got a fever. Please, please come and help me. I was angry. After a 60-hour work week, I didn't want to hear about Jimmy, but I promised I would be right over. And still, during the drive over, I complained to God about the inconvenience. The moment I walked in the door, I could smell the vomit. And Jimmy was on the sofa, shivering and in distress. I wiped his forehead, and then I got a bucket of soapy water to clean up the mess. And I managed to maintain a facade of concern, even though I was raging inside. Jimmy's friend, Russ, who also had AIDS, came down the stairs. And the odor made Russ sick, too. And as I cleaned the carpet around Russ's chair, I was ready to explode inside. And then Russ startled me. He shouted, I understand, I understand. What, Russ? Jimmy asked weakly. I understand who Jesus is, Russ said through tears. He's like Jeff. Weeping, I hugged Russ and I prayed with him. 
And that night, Russ trusted Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. God used me to show his lavish love in spite of myself. God's lavish love, even lived out by imperfect people like you and me, can transform lives. Lavished with love, God's love. God's unconditional, unmerited, unlimited, unimaginable, unfailing love. It's this love that God has for you and for me. And His love is to be shared by you. Who needs you to love them as God loves you? You see, your life is about you responding to God's lavish love with your own acts of love. Your life is about loving people so much, so sacrificially, that they proclaim, I understand who Jesus is. He's like you. And what a difference God's lavish love can make in our lives and in the lives of other people too. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ's love now and forever. Amen.